Listen. Just listen. I'm Nick Ward, and this is the Second Story Podcast. Second Story is Serendipity Theatre Collective's hybrid performance series of stories, wine, and music. A collaboration among writers, actors, musicians, and others to create good stories, good times. The stories are written by the performers themselves. Sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, always thought-provoking. And now, Serendipity company member, Julie Ganey. Twenty-four years ago, I left the small town in Missouri that I grew up in to go to the theater school at DePaul University, where I was going to fulfill my destiny and become an actress. Back in rural Jefferson County, I was artsy. I'd written a term paper on Ionesco. I was in plays at the local junior college. I knew a gay person. I'd seen flash dance and fame. I'd cut the collars off a few of my sweatshirts and I was ready for a big time acting school in Chicago. I would be surrounded by like-minded peers who shared my deep and abiding love of theater in a supportive and nurturing environment where we would explore and perform classical texts to illuminate the human spirit. Now this is 1984, before almost everything that defines being 18 years old today. Before cell phones and texting and internet and Starbucks, back when hardly anybody had a tattoo. And if you did, it was a real statement. Before hip hop, before grunge, Michael Jackson's thriller was all the rage, but I wasn't cool enough to appreciate it. Picture me on a muggy August afternoon walking down Kenmore Avenue to freshman orientation. I'm wearing a lemon yellow drop waist jumper with the pockets right here. Over a mauve blouse with shoulder pads. I'm having a really good hair day. It's the 80s, so it's a big hair. I got my bangs poofed up in front. And I am wearing my high school graduation present, a Walkman. I'm listening to the Go-Go's, cause they're fun and artsy too. And while I am excited about finally making my dreams come true, I'm also a little nervous. My first conversation the day before with my assigned roommate, Candy, had been unnerving. Hi, I'm Julie. Oh, I don't care. Either bed. What? Um, no, I, I don't have any condoms. Well, if, if I did have one, you wouldn't have to borrow it. I'd let you keep it. <laughs> As I approach the theater building, I see a couple of girls sprawled on the front steps, dressed in black and ripped up leg warmers despite the 90 degree heat. One of them is lazily smoking. 
The other, looking Bob Fosse-esque in her bowler hat and thick eyeliner, is drawing on the sole of her bare foot with a Sharpie. <laughs> Hi, I'm looking for the Magaw Common area. Is that in here? Smoking girl takes me in over the rim of her sunglasses and says, yeah, you mean the pit, waving toward the front door of the building and revealing, oh my God, is that underarm hair? Inside, the pit is down a few steps from the main entrance, a big open area furnished with couches, a couple of throne chairs from various productions, and lots and lots of ashtrays. Two walls are all glass, and I have the feeling of being trapped in a rather dirty fish tank. I stand overlooking the pit, and I see my black-clad classmates in clusters draped around the open area. No one's using the furniture as designed. They're, they're perched on the back of chairs, or sitting under tables, or on tables. Wow, these were really creative types. That was clear right away. I put my Walkman in my backpack, and I made my way down the stairs, a scoop of rainbow sherbet in a big black bowl. I finally settle near a tall, impossibly skinny guy who looks kind of like Pee Wee Herman except with cool, floppy hair. He tosses it out of his face and offers me a cup of coffee. Here, the machine is fucked up and gave me two. Oh, no thanks, I say. You don't drink coffee? He asks. No. Why not? I, I don't know. Doesn't it stunt your growth or something? Oh my God, quick, have a cigarette before you become Amish. His name is Ted Bales. He has a worldliness that belies his Park Ridge roots. He says, now, what's that you're wearing, anyway? Some traditional cultural outfit? I say, oh, it's, it's a jumper. <laughs> the next few weeks were like falling down a rabbit hole and ending up in some alternate universe where the currency I'd been using my whole life to get along, following the rules, making good grades, doing what was expected of me, was no longer worth much. The first day of my first acting class, the instructor took us on a five-mile run around the near north side. I wasn't athletic. I'd never played sports in high school. I had to drop out near the Lincoln Park Zoo. Voice classes involved facial contortions and primal noises, lots of touching and people in my personal space. In movement class, the teacher would put on some alarming fusion jazz, and we were expected to use the space and respond physically to the music, not dance, just, just move and express what we were feeling. I spent most of my time hugging the back wall and hiding behind people. In acting class, we had to begin each day with an exercise called dumping. Three to five minutes of communal screaming, venting, and cursing designed to facilitate our ability to readily access our emotions. I found these exercises embarrassing, indulgent. All of a sudden it became clear that I was inhibited. I had hang-ups. Twelve years of Catholic schooling had definitely done its work. 
at a conservatory where you had to be invited back to the program at the end of every year. I was already feeling like the weakest wildebeest in the herd. Whatever confidence I'd taken for granted up to this point in my life seemed to flee every morning as I made my way through the crowded pit to my classes. I mean, these kids were hip. They had opinions about things. They were loud and dramatic and show-offy, except for when they were bored and listlessly smoking. They spent their free time listening to bands I'd never heard of. They Casey Kasem never talked about, like the Beastie Boys and Susie and the Banshees. I spent my free time listening to the Breakfast Club soundtrack, taking the brown line around the loop out west and then back again. I ate a ridiculous amount of Burger King and Taco Bell. I gained 20 pounds in two months. This did not improve my confidence. See, I expected college to be a lot like high school, easy to navigate. Like, oh, I like your hair so much, and oh, Missouri is such a cool place to be from. In breakfast club terms, I was Molly Ringwald in a sea of Ali Sheedy's, and I didn't know how to be anything else. I just wanted to go back home before I didn't fit in there either. Mom, I want to come home. Yeah, I know it was my decision, but I've changed my mind. Yeah, I did give it a go. I still hate it. Yes. How did it go? It was awful. It was humiliating. After I finished the scene, he said he had no idea what I was doing up there. And I said, oh, really? Because I, I really felt it. And he said, Julie, even bad actresses feel a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know it's not very nice, Mom, but that's how they are here. <laughs> no, Mom, you do not understand. I look around this place in every class. There is not one person who could be my friend. There is no one like me here. I don't want to expand my horizons and try something new. God, I know exactly who I am and it's worked out just fine till now. I just, I can't believe life is going on there just the same, except without me. I miss you guys, I, I want to come home. God, Mom, don't you cry too. Okay, all right, all right. I love you too. One Friday afternoon near Halloween, Ted Bales tapped me on the shoulder as I ducked out of acting class. Bridget and I are having a few people over tonight. Attend. He moved down the hall to bum a cigarette and tossed back, we live over the vu, the deja vu, on the corner of Lincoln and Wrightwood. Though I'd been invited to theater school parties before, I'd never gone, figuring I would experience the same excruciating awkwardness I endured during classes. But this time, I decided to tear myself away from my well of disappointment and go. Five hours later, I was climbing the narrow, dingy staircase behind the VU. From the bar on the first floor, I heard jazz, 
a piano and pristine trumpet. As I got higher on the staircase, though, that faded away and I heard a heavy, pounding beat from the apartment above. Briefly, the band seemed to battle and then the upstairs clatter easily won. I took a deep breath at the open window on the landing, debated turning back, but then pushed open the door. It was, a, it was another world. It, to me, it looked like some Andy Warholian factory party, as far from the high school graduation parties I'd attended a few months earlier as it seemed possible to get. A few faces turned and smiled at me through the smoke. It smelled funny. Maybe incense, or, or pot, or something else I'd been warned against. But it didn't feel scary, just different. The living room had become a dance floor, shadows moving in front of the windows over the street. The dining room was full of people lounging on a couch or just standing around drinking. There was candy waving to me in some sort of low-cut cocktail dress and a hat with a veil drinking pink stuff out of a plastic champagne glass. Ted led me down the long, crowded hall to the kitchen, and on the way, it happened. Talia Garopoulos vomited on me. I'm not going to say much about Talia Garopoulos except to say that over the next four years, this was exactly the sort of thing you learned to be on the lookout for when you were around her. My Sound of Music t-shirt, my skirt, my Payless flats, all covered in splashy, liquidy puke. Ted corralled Talia into the bathroom, and before I could throw up myself or pass out a real possibility, Bridget, Ted's roommate, grabbed me and pulled me into her room opposite the bathroom and shut the door. Now, Bridget Kelly was a third year in the conservatory. I didn't really know her, but I knew of her. She was lovely. Kind of looked like Katherine Hepburn with auburn hair and high cheekbones. She seemed older than a college student, sure of herself. She was a person who was talked about, admired by students and teachers, too. She surveyed me and took a long drag on her cigarette. Jesus, she said. Can you get your clothes off without getting it all over? She began digging in her closet for something, and I managed to get the stuff off. The smell was bad, but not unbearable. It didn't appear that Talia had eaten much, just been drinking a lot of beer. <laughs> I felt exposed, embarrassed, and chubby as Bridget turned and handed me something. Here, try this. You can get it back to me whenever. It was a dress, something black and 40s vintage-y. With a little tugging, it fit. Ted said you were a cross between Mary Tyler Moore and Glinda the Good Witch. You kind of are. Oh, well, I can't help it. Okay. She took one last drag on her cigarette and put it out in an ashtray on the dresser with an efficient twist of her bangled wrist. She chose a lipstick from the dresser top, applied it in three graceful strokes, and offered it to me with raised eyebrows. Oh no, I said, I never wear red. Never? You should try it. 
It's just not me, I said. She watched me smooth the dress. Well, you can always change your mind. As she let herself out of the room, she said, the dress looks nice. You should keep it. When I turned and looked in the mirror, hanging on Bridget's closet door, I was shocked. It did look nice. I took the ponytail holder out of my hair and shook my head. I looked older, different. Somehow I looked more like me and more like everybody else all at the same time. I felt a little dizzy, had the sensation of catching up with my own forward movement. I didn't end up staying at that party. I smelled like puke and my shoes were ruined. As I made my way through the friendly faces to the front door, Ted said to me, oh, that dress is very you, Glinda. You think? Oh, yeah. Relax your idea of yourself a little. I let myself out onto Lincoln Avenue, threw my old skirt and Sound of Music t-shirt into the dumpster, and walked, squishy-footed, back to the dorm. That was Julie Ganey. If her story gives you ideas for your own second story, we'd love to hear them. Please join us for our ongoing series at Webster's Wine Bar in Red Kiva. Or check out one of our upcoming special events. Mark your calendars for New Year's Eve. For the second straight year, Second Story is hosting a New Year's bash that is guaranteed to knock your socks off. Keep checking our website for details. Second Story Podcast is brought to you by Amanda Delheimer, Megan Steelstra, Shannon Sullivan, Miles Pulaski, Mikhail Fixel, and Nick Kawahara. I am Nick Ward. Serendipity is funded in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency, the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, City Arts Grants, the Chicago Community Foundation, a part of the Chicago Community Trust, and listeners just like you. To find out more about Second Story, the performances, and our storytellers, or to make a donation, visit us at storiesandwine.org.